passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. We are live. And no, this is not the UFC Apex, but you can pump the rock him because guess who's back? The Big Phil Combo live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario is here filling in for the UFC 283 post show for John Pollock, who unfortunately can't be here. Here, as always, with the number one MMA man at post wrestling. The one, the only, the irreplaceable, unmistakable, Eric Mark Hot. Eric, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. Uh, a bit tired. Uh, glad to have you back, Phil. That was that was a real MMA retirement you had. <laughs> that, I mean, you get the big send off, and three months later, you're back headlining the shows. Uh, wow. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not even. I mean, six months, seven months. I'm not quite sure what it was. Uh, exactly, but uh, lots of retirement talk today as we review uh, UFC 283. Uh, and not just uh, UFC 283, but uh, at the end of the show, we're also going to be recapping 2022 with the 2022 post-MMA-ish uh, awards. We'll do some predictions. We've got some John Pollock picks in there as well to talk about. Uh, so a lot of ground to cover. Uh, so why don't we get right into it, Eric? Uh, UFC 283 was taking place from the Genese Arena in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The UFC returning for their first live event since the beginning of the pandemic. Of course, they had that one empty arena, uh, event, uh, at the start of, uh, 2022. Uh, the main card being headlined by a title fight between Glover Tejera and Jamal Hill. Now, we had a title fight for the light heavyweight title not even a month ago, Eric. So uh, first, before we get into the action, how did you feel about this fight and the fact that it was a title fight? 
I mean, the entire roller coaster to get here has been insane for anyone who either doesn't know or has forgotten. Um, around this time last year, Glover Teixeira was the light heavyweight champion. He tried to defend his title against Yuri Brahashka, but he ultimately lost that fight in the fifth round, and Yuri became our champion. They were scheduled to rematch at the end of the year, but Yuri had to withdraw from the fight due to injury, and he vacated his title. And in their place, Magomed Ankalaev and Jan Blahovich fought for the vacant championship. Unfortunately, their fight ended in a draw. And uh, the fight was just so bad, according to Dana White, that he decided to remove both of them from the title conversation. And he decided to take uh, Jamal Hill from his fight against Anthony Smith and insert him against Glover Teixeira here for the vacant title. Um, So this was all very, very weird. I'm not sure if anybody looked at Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira as the two top light heavyweights in the world, but I also don't think there's a considerable difference between the best light heavyweight in the world and the 20th best light heavyweight in the world, so whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Okay, well, I think from the standpoint that Glover was originally scheduled for that uh, title fight at UFC 282, uh, it made sense for him to be in that this match. Uh, and you would think that one of Ankalaev or Blahovich would be the person to slot in here. But of course, that match was less than a month ago. Seems unreasonable to even get them back. And as you stated, Dana White not terribly happy with either man's performance in, uh, in the, in that last, uh, light heavyweight title fight. So, uh, I guess it's as good of a fight as any. And I didn't really have a problem for it being for the title because uh, the top dog, uh, Yuri Prohaska, is on the shelf. And we don't know when he will be returning, although uh, he does seem prepared to come back for that uh, light heavyweight strap via a social media post uh, he released at the end of the main event. Um, So with uh, that being said, why don't we go through the action? All right, so we start the fight, and obviously, uh, just as you would expect, Glover Teixeira, he's searching for takedowns. Uh, He goes for numerous attempts in the first round, but Hill's takedown defense is really holding up. He's able to shrug most of them off, and I thought he was doing good work attacking the body of Teixeira with kicks mostly. Uh, As the fight progressed, he started to work his jab too, kind of busted Glover up. Uh, There was an eye poke to Hill at one point in the action, but I mean... He didn't take too much time before he recovered. I thought the first round was a solid one for Hill, scored at 10-9 in his favor, and we head right into round two. Uh, Hill catches Glover with an eye poke of his own, and <laughs> Glover is uh, Glover was very mad about the eye poke, which was kind of funny considering he did the same thing like literally a minute beforehand in the action. But uh, much like Hill, he doesn't take much time to recover, and the action resumes. Glover was landing uh, very good leg kicks. I thought it was some of the best offense he had throughout the fight, but uh, it wasn't a weapon he really went back to uh, too often. At one point, Hill lands this um, big head kick that just rocks Glover, and Teixeira is in deep trouble as Hill is swarming him with strikes. Uh, He rocks him over and over again, and the fight is pretty close to being stopped. But in typical Glover Teixeira fashion, he somehow survives this uh, relentless flurry from Hill and begins to fire back, land some big shots of his own, and even brings Hill uh, to the ground towards the end of the round. He couldn't get the finish he was looking for, even though I think he almost makes it to mount at one point. Um, 
Hill escapes to his feet. They trade hands uh, to end the round. This was a very entertaining round. Uh, despite Glover's late comeback, I, this was still a fairly clear one for Hill, just because he nearly got Glover out of there. We go into round three. Hill defends a takedown from Glover to start the round, so he's he's recovered from whatever state he was in at the end of the second. He rocks Glover again with another head kick, and this one sends Glover to the ground. Hill follows Teixeira down as he tries to finish the fight. Uh, once again, Glover somehow survives this. It was so close to being stopped, and it probably could have been stopped, but... He uh, weathers the storm, uh, makes it back to his feet. Uh, He's very clearly hurt, very clearly tired, but he is still marching forward, trying to find that big shot that would change the fight. Hill is still in control, though. He lands a really heavy right hand and a pretty strong ground for him. I don't think there's any question that he's up three rounds going into the championship rounds, Phil. Oh, definitely. In fact, I, I even gave uh, that round uh, 10-8. And uh, anyone familiar with the show knows that uh, I'm a bit stingy on the 10-8s. Yeah, so uh, this, this was a fairly one-sided fight to this point, although Glover was having his moments. We, we go into round four, and at, at this point, Glover just has brutal cuts above both of his eyebrows. Um, a knee to the head from Hill finds its target, and he successfully defends a takedown moments later. Uh, Hills just landing damaging strike after damaging strike. Um, he's he's rocking Glover over and over, and Mark Goddard is so close to stopping this fight, but Glover is a tough old man, and he just won't go down. He he somehow makes it to the end of this round, but um, this is one that I mean, I thought was a ten eight round. It was uh, uh, just a very one sided beatdown, and Glover didn't really even have any moments in, in this one. We go into round five. Uh, the, the doctor is brought in to check on Glover. It is determined that he could continue. Uh, Teixeira scores a big takedown towards the start of the round, and he works his way all the way into a mount, but Hill slides out from under him and takes top position. Hill rides, rides it out for a while, but with a minute left, he lets Glover back up onto his feet, and Glover tries to make something happen in the last minute. It never really comes, though, and the fight does go the distance. All three judges score the fight 50-44 to 44 for Jamal Hill, and he is your new UFC light heavyweight champion. Yeah, uh, I thought it was an extremely impressive performance from Jamal Hill, uh, along with showing a wide variety of strikes and that deadly uh, left high kick that landed over and over again, nearly finished the fight twice. Uh, he showed great defensive wrestling throughout. And in the two instances where he was bought to the ground and uh, Glover was able to maintain that top position, he was able to find a way to escape. So it just showed a really well-rounded, smart game. And um, although he did begin to fatigue a little bit at points through this fight, it, it never really seemed like he was like seriously tired, which is a testament as well to uh, him because this fight was short notice, right? He didn't really get a five round uh, training camp uh, in place for this. So uh, yeah, incredibly impressive performance. And when you look at sort of the 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 lineup of light heavyweights, uh, if he's able to defend against uh, Yuri Prohaska, he, he does really seem like somebody with a, a lot of uh, long-term potential, uh, just a, a very 
smooth, intelligent skill set. Uh, yeah, he's definitely a talented fighter. He's a very dangerous fighter. It's very rare that a Jamal Hill fight goes the distance, but uh, obviously Glover is just made of something else entirely with this guy's ability to absorb punishments and keep going. Uh, despite the result uh, or the draw in the last fight, I still look at Magomed Ankalaev as the guy to beat in this di- in this division right now with um, all due respect to Hill and Yuri Prohoshka, who both have claims to being the best light heavyweight. But um, th- there are some interesting factors at light heavyweight right now. There's certainly not a guy that you look at and you're just like, oh, well, nobody's going to beat him. I can This belt's been hot potatoed around since John Jones left the division, and I can see that continuing as... Um, uh, this title is next defended. Okay, so before we get to Glover, uh, your UFC, your matchmaking, we're going to assume that Yuri's out still for a while. Uh, based on the reports of the in- initial injury, I mean, it's still only um, a, like a little over a month ago. So uh, who knows when he's going to be back. So you, it seems like you've got three options for Hill. You've got Ankalaev, you've got Blahovich. And you potentially have Anthony Smith, who he was originally scheduled to fight and was the backup for this match, although he did miss weight, uh, uh, championship weight by one and a half pounds. So you're the UFC. What are you going to do? Um, I do think Anthony Smith is pretty far removed from the picture right now. I wouldn't even really factor him in. I think you're looking at either Blahovich or Ankalaev. And uh, of those two options, I, I do think Ankalaev would be uh, the more sensible fight to make although Jan Blachowicz certainly has a case I mean we we broke into the scoring of we spent so much time discussing the scoring uh, John and myself on uh, that main event between Ankalive and Blachowicz on our last UFC post show and uh, Blachowicz did fight a better fight than he was given credit for by a, a certain UFC commentator moments after the fight's conclusion. But um, I, I think Ankalaev is probably the most likely next option. But really, it, it depends on how long Hill's going to sit out. Because if he's going to be out for a while, then it very well could be Prohoshka, who's next in line. All right. Well, uh, as well at the end of this fight, after the scores were read... Uh, Glover Tejera took off the gloves, laid them down, and announced his retirement from the UFC. Uh, I mean, how easy? 43 years old. Uh, he had talked about retirement previous to this. So uh, I guess first and foremost, Eric, how much uh, do you think that this retirement will stick uh, more than others? Uh like most MMA retirements, I always come into this with a sense of uh, this may have very well been an in-the-moment kind of decision, but Glover Teixeira is 43 years old. He's been doing this forever, and at this point, he's accomplished everything he set out to do. So it, it wouldn't shock me if this was the last time we see Glover Teixeira, and uh, if so, he leaves behind a hell of a resume um, really boosted by these final years of his career. Yes, ultimately did become UFC light heavyweight champion after a long run inside the UFC and then a long road to get to the UFC. So uh, let's assume that this is is the final uh, call for one Glover. Any uh, particular memory that stands out for you with him? I mean, I think in terms of uh, a fight that he won, the one him finally uh, winning the UFC light heavyweight championship, defeating Jan Blachowicz is a memory that will stick in my mind. Um, his 
brutal, brutal beatdown of Anthony Smith will also be one that uh, holds a place in my memory. One of uh, the toughest fights to watch that I, I can recall. Um, he had a lot of big wins throughout his career. Rashad Evans, Rampage Jackson, um, beat Tiago Santos in a really fun fight. Uh, he had a very impressive run. Definitely. I mean, I think he's pretty much uh, a lock for the UFC Hall of Fame in my book, um, but uh, time will tell. All right. So uh, moving on the card, uh, we also had another title fight. We had the flyweight title being contested between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. This was the fourth time that the two fought, the first time being a draw, the second Moreno winning, the third Davison winning. Uh, Davison injured for a potential fourth fight, so Moreno uh, gets an interim strap after defeating Kai Kara France. So before we get into the action, Eric, just your thoughts on this quadrilogy tetralogy whatever it is that they were they were calling it ahead of this fight i i know uh i was excited for it because the the previous fights were were all excellent and these are such skilled fighters yeah i, I was in the same boat even though these guys have spent a lot of time fighting each other i was still excited just because all of their fights have been so interesting these are both really high level fighters and uh, i was expecting another one going into this one so uh, don't get me wrong I, I was hoping this would be the final time these guys were ever even in the same room as each other but uh, i was ready for one last fight so you were ready for a fifth one to potentially happen no, no, that is oh. the opposite of what I said. Oh, okay. I do not want to see no, a no, no. Fight so, okay. <laughs> so, so I thought you said one last one. I thought after that, okay, yes, I misunderstood. Please, please bear with me, people. I, I'm rusty at this. All right. Uh, so why don't you tell us how, how the action went down? Uh, we, we didn't get the glove touch to start the fight. Moreno went for it, and then Figueredo chose to bow instead, and they uh, they bowed to each other. I, I'm not sure if that's like more respectful or, or less respectful, uh, whatever. The fight starts, and we see Moreno quickly uh, taking Figueredo down. Uh, Figueredo completely managed to avoid any damage here. He tried to throw in the guillotine pretty much. It wasn't close to coming in, but it was enough to allow him to get back to his feet. Uh, Moreno lands this big overhand right, and Figueredo responds with a front kick. Figueredo was really working that front kick early in that first round. Uh, he found some success with it before the fighters would continue to trade punches. Uh, takedown defense held up for both guys until the end of the round where Moreno secured one more, but Figueredo responded with a heel hook attempt and was unable to secure the finish before time expired. Pretty close round. I uh, wonder uh, how you scored it, Phil. Uh, I added a uh, 10-9 for Moreno. I think he outstruck in terms of volume uh, Figueredo. Uh, as well, he did get those two takedowns. Uh, dis now, despite the heel hook attempt by Figueredo, uh, Figueredo did land some solid shots to the body, but one thing that I noticed uh, in this fight versus the previous fights was it just seemed like Moreno was landing with more power than he previously had in this one. It seemed like it was a big part of his game plan. I gave the slight edge to Figueredo in the first round, but it's not one that I felt particularly strongly about either. I didn't think there was moments of significant damage from either guy. Kind of a bit of a feeling out round, although there were some fun scrambles. Uh, we go into round two. Figueredo catches a leg early and takes Moreno down. Uh, Moreno, he scrambles back to his feet fairly quickly and tags Figueredo with a hook on the break. Uh, 
Figueredo defends a takedown and lands a hook of his own. Uh, the fighters continue to exchange pretty heavy shots with Moreno uh, regularly landing at a higher pace than Figueredo, who's falling a bit behind on the strike count here. Uh, at one point, Moreno goes for another takedown and Figueredo jumps for a guillotine in response. It was a pretty solid attempt, but Moreno escapes and takes top position. He, he wasn't very effective with his top position. He didn't really do anything, but he did keep the position until the end of the round. All three judges saw this one for Figueredo, but I actually gave this one to Moreno. How about you, Phil? Uh, I gave this one to Moreno as well. I, I find that a bit surprising that the judges gave it to Figueredo, especially all three of them. I thought that he, there was a greater disparity in this round than in the first round. Uh, so did I. I. I thought Moreno just landed the better shots here. Figueredo did have the guillotine attempt, but Moreno was able to shake out of it. So I, I thought this was a round from Moreno. Uh, we go into the third round, and Moreno lands this huge left hand, and it really messes up Divas and Figueredo's eye. Figueredo doesn't really know what happened in the moment, so he's trying to call for a break for an action, but but it was a clean punch, or at least it appeared to be. And uh, Moreno kind of takes him down while Figueredo's complaining. And the majority of the rest of the round is uh, Moreno in top position, landing solid shots, further damaging that eye from Figueredo. And by the end of the round, Figueredo's eye had just completely swollen shut. Uh, the doctor gets brought in to check on Figueredo's eye between rounds, but it was completely closed. There was no way he can keep on fighting. So uh, the fight is stopped, and Mer- Brandon Moreno is your winner by doctor stoppage at five minutes of the third round. And he is once again your UFC flyweight champion. Yeah, I mean, uh, what a what a roller coaster for uh, the young Brandon Moreno. I mean, uh, incredible series of fights, but uh, I thought he really put a stamp on this one. Um, I think there was a clear difference uh, in the quality of the performances. Um, I don't. I know for the previous fight, uh, Figueredo had made the point to train with Henry Cejudo for this one, but it sounded like he did not do that uh, for this fight. And uh, I wonder if that affected the quality of his performance in terms of perhaps the type of training he was able to get. Um, Now, uh, after the fight, Figueredo announces that, you know, he takes off the gloves and (laughs) you begin to get a little bit like, what's going on here? But uh, he announces that this will be his last fight at uh, flyweight and he's moving up to uh, bantamweight. So, uh, you know, he had previously had uh, difficulties uh, making weight in the past, and it sounds like it continues to be a struggle for him. So just based on that fact alone, uh, it seems like a fifth fight between these two is a long ways off. Yeah, this did feel like the final bout of their uh, long-standing rivalry at this point. Um, the, the move to bantamweight makes sense for Figueredo, who is now 35 years old, and clearly this weight cut is taking its toll on him. He doesn't fight with the spark that he did when he was younger. Uh, hey, he had a hell of a run at flyweight, um, a multiple-time champion, and for my money, the most entertaining fighter in the history of the UFC's flyweight division. So all the credit to him, and I'm looking forward to see what he'll do at bantamweight. And uh, for the new champ, Brandon Moreno, uh, it seems like the natural next opponent is Alexander Pantoja. So any initial thoughts on that matchup? I mean, that's that's clearly the fight to make. Pantoja's already beaten him twice, and he's on a decent win streak right now. Um, 
Moreno is a very different fighter from the previous fights that they've had. I think Moreno's improved dramatically, but so has Pantoja. So uh, I'm really into that fight. And uh, I'm not sure what it's going to look like at this stage in their respective careers. Yes. And uh, worthwhile to note that Brandon Moreno, a uh, long time trained by James Krause, uh, no longer with him, of course. <laughs> so, so a new, new, new team behind him. And, and you know, it, in my, my book, it showed, it showed, you know, he had a different approach in this fight, different game plan, was uh, more aggressive with the takedown attempts, mixed it up. And as I already stated, uh, it seemed like there was an intention to throw with a little bit more precise power rather than volume in this one. Yeah, I thought he looked fantastic. He really mixed in his offense well here. Um, Figueredo, he's a hard guy. Like, even if you get him down, he's a hard guy to do anything to on the ground. But I think you'll see against future opponents uh, how much he's improved that aspect of his game as well. All right. So now moving down the card, we are done with the title fights. But we had a great uh, welterweight matchup on paper between Gilbert Burns and Neil Magny. Uh, that we did. So this was uh, Burns' first fight since his fight against Hamzat Chimeyev, uh last year. A very good fight that was just kind of early in the year, so it, it might have been overlooked a bit as the year progressed. But um, a big fight for Gilbert Burns. The, the fight starts, and I mean, B- Burns secures a takedown fairly quickly. Not a lot of offense in the first couple minutes of the fight. He takes it down, and from here, it's it's just elementary for him. He just slices through Neil Magny's guard. He goes into the mount where he locks in an arm triangle and Magny's forced to submit. Doesn't really get any offense of his own off throughout the fight. A very one-sided win for Gilbert Burns, who picks up the arm triangle submission at 4 minutes and 15 seconds of the very first round. What did you think about this, Phil? Well, I I mean, I thought it was uh, a tremendous performance. Uh, Burns did not absorb a single significant strike in this fight. And when it did get to the ground, you know, Neil Magny... Although we've seen him submitted in the past by top uh, BJJ guys, you know he ha- has a very active guard. He has uh, the type of body that makes it very difficult uh, to deal with, difficult to pass the guard. And Gilbert Burns just put on a master class of switching sides, avoiding the active guard, and ultimately getting to that top position and arm triangle in order to be able to secure the victory. So I think if uh, you're somebody who really enjoys high level BJJ and if you're even just new to BJJ and just want to sort of uh get a little 101 uh this is a fight to watch because it was absolutely uh amazingly executed by Gilbert Burns. Yeah, it's it's not as though we've never seen Neil Magny lose a fight but it's fairly rare that guys just run through him like this kind of uh, took me back to um Magny's fight against um Rafael Dos Anjos which actually looked very similar in the sense that RDA just kind of takes him down in the first round secures the arm triangle when uh Gilbert Burns was like a massive favorite going into this fight and I remember before the fight started I looked at the odds and I thought that was like crazy odds I did expect a fairly competitive fight but the the odds makers were right on this one because it was a, a complete blowout Yes, yes, it was. And uh, it wasn't the only blowout, but a very different one in our next fight, uh, which was a women's flyweight battle between Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy. 
Okay, so yeah, let's let's preface this by saying this fight is um it is a complete massacre. So the fight starts and Andrade lands a number of inside leg kicks which are already landing with power. Uh Murphy is rushing forward, but she's walking right into heavy hooks from Andrade, who is doing significant damage here. Uh, Andrade really had no fear of Murphy's power and she just begins to rush forward with hooks landing uh, the vast majority of them, all while continuing to cut down Murphy's lead leg. Um, at one point, Murphy nearly managed to take Andrade down, but Andrade just popped right back to her feet, and she just continues to walk Murphy down. This was uh, a very one-sided round, and I went 10-8 on the first round of this fight. Uh, how about you, Phil? Uh, I did not give this one 10-8, um, although I can totally understand it. I do think in this one... Uh, the first round, Lauren Murphy was able to at least land some shots, uh, in re- return, uh, on Jessica Andrade, but it was definitely very one sided, uh, which was a pattern that would continue. Yes, we go into round two, and Murphy's corner has told her to wrestle with Andrade, but uh, that strategy did not prove effective. Andrade was able to keep the fight on the feet, and the second round was quickly started to play out exactly like round one. She's attacking the head and body of Murphy with combinations of hooks. And Murphy was just having no success offensively in return. Like at times, perhaps she would land a counter, but with zero power, Andrade was not affected by anything that Murphy was throwing back. Uh, Andrade is defending all of her takedown attempts and pretty much punishing her with these brutal combinations to the head and body every single time. This was another just uh, absolute one-sided brutal beat down for Jessica Andrade who I had 20 to 16 going into round three yes I gave this one 10-8 as well uh as uh the commentators were also questioning the corner like wondering if maybe they should stop this fight and uh I think that that was probably some good advice uh the difference between let's say this fight and the Glover fight is even though Glover was getting beaten pretty brutally as well, he did have moments of offense. He was able to create opportunities to land counter strikes and push back Jamal Hill. So even though on his face and through shot after shot, he was wearing it, in this fight, we saw just really no significant offense from Lauren Murphy. Yeah, as much damage as Glover took throughout that bout, uh, he did have moments of success. And he also had uh, what we'd call that fight-ending power or fight-ending submission ability where you think, okay, there's always a bit of hope for him. There was no hope for Lauren Murphy in this fight. There was no path to victory going into round three. And I I would have liked to see the fight uh, get stopped. But that was not what happened. Instead, we got a third round of this fight, and Andrade just rushes Murphy with strikes in the opening minute, landing a considerable portion of them with a lot of power. Uh, Murphy had just nothing to offer Andrade at this point in the fight, and like I said, I, I thought the damage she was taking was completely unnecessary here. Uh, to Murphy's credit, very tough, refused to go down, but whenever we're pointing out how tough a fighter it is, that's that's not always a good thing. Uh, at one point, Cormier forgot he was a commentator and he started screaming for the, the referee to stop the fight. Uh, but that didn't happen. And Murphy makes it to the final bell. Um, I scored the fight 30-24 to 24 for Jessica Andrade. Two judges saw it 30-25 to 25 and one saw it 30-26. Um, yeah, this was 
This was quite the fight, Phil. <laughs> yeah, kind of difficult to watch. Uh, you know, nothing really significant from Lauren Murphy, who not that long ago was challenging for a title. Uh, and that seems like a distant, distant memory. Jessica Andrade, on the other hand, who also not too long ago challenged for the title, you know, has put up a pretty impressive run. And uh, it's not inconceivable that she does uh, make it back to that uh, title picture uh, not long in the future, in my opinion. Yeah, that, I think it really um, depends on if she's fighting at strawweight or committing to the strawweight division. Um, at flyweights, I, I don't know if like anyone's really gunning to see her versus Shevchenko too. But at strawweight, yes. I mean, she's already beat Rose Namajunas. The second fight, Rose Namajunas won by Jessica Andrade. Uh, all the momentum was on her side going into the end of that fight. Uh, she lost her title to Zhang Guili, the current champion, but it was a very quick 30-second fight. So I don't think anyone would be too upset about seeing them go at it again. Uh, she she would have to perhaps commit a bit more to that division, though. She's been going back and forth between strawweight and flyweight, and... As a result, it's it's kind of weird. Like, she wins this fight at flyweight against Lauren Murphy, and she calls for a title fight against Jang in her post-fight interview. It, it could happen, but it's just a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. But uh, nonetheless, an impressive performance and uh, probably a bigger fight uh, in her next outing. Oh, and just prior to that fight, the UFC announces that one, Jose Aldo Jr., is going to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame later this year. Uh, Aldo, of course, former featherweight champion in both the UFC and WEC, and then making a very impressive uh, bantamweight run later in his career. Uh, I know this is one of, if not your favorite fighter of all time, Eric, so perhaps you'd be best to uh, share your thoughts on uh, the King of Rio. Yeah, one of the greatest fighters of all time, unquestionably, um, starting off really in his WEC run where he just pretty much runs through everybody he fights in that division, quickly establishing himself as the best featherweight in the world, beating guys like Cub Swanson, Uriah Faber, and Mike Brown, uh, continuing on in the UFC, and he continues this featherweight unbeaten streak for years, defeating really perhaps the, one of the highest level of competition in terms of challengers that you'll see uh, throughout a long title reign, uh, defeating even former lightweight champion Frankie Edgar multiple times in the prime of his career, uh, defeating Chad Mendez twice, the Korean zombie. Now we go, even in the later portions of his career, Aldo was still a very high-level fighter after losing his title to Conor McGregor and then Max Holloway. He still had competitive bouts uh, against the likes of... Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, Hananda Moyakano, and uh, of course his final bantamweight run was also very entertaining for the short time it lasted. So, just one of the greatest fighters uh, of all time, and pretty much as much of a shoe in for a Hall of Fame as you'll get in MMA. Uh, now, unfortunately, we never got that Dominic Cruz versus uh, Aldo fight, but Eric, well, if you had to place some odds on that potentially happening in the future. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I don't think it's going to happen in, in a boxing ring, which is where Jose Aldo's future lies, but um, I, I do not buy Jose Aldo's retirement from MMA for a second either, so <laughs> it could very well still be in the future. Uh, yes, the UFC announcing that the retired Hall of Famer will be competing in a boxing match on Fight Pass, I believe, on 
February 10th or at some point in February. So if you if you do want to see a modern Jose Aldo sling leather, uh, you will get an opportunity to see that in the near future. Okay, moving on the card, we had a light heavyweight matchup between Paul Craig and Johnny Walker. I mean, that's the sort of fight you see on paper and you're like, oh, that's going to end in some wild way in three minutes, isn't it? And that, that's exactly what we got. Um, Walker begins to fight with a big leg kick and he goes for another one. But this time Craig catches it and he just kind of stands there for a second too long. And Walker just starts throwing bombs at the unprotected head of Paul Craig, rocking him with the heavy right hands. Uh, Craig goes down near the cage and Walker just throws powerful hammer fists down until Craig's done. So uh, Johnny Walker wins by TKO at two minutes and 16 seconds of round one. Um, Just as uh, weird and wild of a fight as you would expect from two of the weirdest and wildest fighters in the UFC. Yeah, uh, pretty impressive uh, performance from Walker. I mean, just was able to generate a tremendous amount of power while being off balance. Uh, uh, really, uh, Craig had no answer for him uh, whatsoever. I mean, just the second those shots started landing, he he dove even deeper on this single leg and never let go. And uh, yeah, no response from him at all. Uh, Walker looking very good in his last two fights and if we go back to his last loss a KO punch to the new champion Jamal Hill that's looking uh not as bad uh, you know in retrospect so uh, as you mentioned earlier uh Eric you know you see not much difference between the top of the division and the bottom of the division uh Walker's almost certainly going to be ranked uh in the, in the next time uh, those come out uh, so how far do you think he is from, you know, getting a legitimate title shot? Um, light heavyweight, everyone's only a fight or two away. I mean, you can literally, if they just announced, say, in a few months, they're doing Yuri Prohoshka versus Johnny Walker. I'd say, like, oh, yeah, that's that sounds completely sensible. Why not? So, I mean, it, it just is what it is. It's the state of the division right now. Um, it's going to take years for this division to um, rebuild itself, hopefully, so. It could be a Johnny Walker's world soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, Jan Blahovich is a great option. Perhaps even Anthony Smith. You know, that's somebody he hasn't yeah. had a fight with yet. And he's uh, a very notable, uh, well, you know, fairly popular fighter. So that seems like a good option next. All right. So that rounds out the main card of the evening. Um, but, uh, for the preliminary portion of the card, that was the sort of main event of the prelims was another, uh, legendary Brazilian fighter. We had Mauricio Shogun Hua taking on Ihor Potiera. Uh, we did, uh, very, uh, <laughs> this was definitely one of those fights we looked at beforehand and I, I didn't know much about Ihor, but I, I checked his record. I was like, all right, let's see what Ihor Patera is all about. And I saw a lot of knockouts and from that moment I knew, okay, I know exactly how this fight is going to go. And that, that's how it played out. Shogun lands a heavy left hook early and it gets a huge reaction from this crowd who just wants to see Shogun win one last big fight. But, uh, spoiler alert, that's not in the cards here. Uh, Pohera just, he, he, he's clearly a lot quicker than Shogun. He, he lands harder shots whenever he does. And, um, 
Shogun's quickly cut open beneath his right eye, and a short right hand from Para just rocks Shogun. Uh, Ihori realizes that Shogun's hurt, and he just swarms him with strikes until Shogun finally goes down. Uh, he wins by knockout at four minutes and five seconds of the first round, uh, and then dances over dances over the corpse of Shogun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, just really depressing moments to. Um, lead us into the pay-per-view <laughs> yeah and along with you know uh the the sort of uh salt in the wound dance you know in his post-fight interview he didn't even really acknowledge shogun you know who's a legend and i understand he's excited about the big win uh but it, that seems like that's a time to defer to the retiring legend and just give him the spotlight for a second. So I don't think uh, Ihor, despite the very quick finish, made too many fans uh, in this one. No, he definitely did not. Uh, I, I don't think it'll be held against him in the long run, but at, at the moment, I don't think there were very, very many Ihor Pera fans out there. <laughs> yes. So uh, Mauricio Shogun announcing before this fight that this would be his last MMA uh, match. So uh, once again, I feel like a broken record, Eric. How do you feel about this retirement and uh, the likelihood to stick and just any reflection on Shogun's career? I, of course, I, I didn't believe him at all when it was announced, but he really doubled down on it this last week. He's like, I despise when these fighters have these big retirements and they just come back. It makes it completely meaningless. I'm not going to do that. This is it. So I'm going to take him at his word that this is that this is it for Shogun, who has been on the wind down for uh, like 15 years, but the, the time has finally come. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you even start at Shogun? Uh, perhaps he'll always be most associated with Pride, where he had his prime years, uh, went undefeated in their middleweight division, which is 205 pounds. Um, of course, the 2005 uh, Pride middleweight Grand Prix is maybe even his crowning achievements, defeating the likes of uh, Alistair Overeem and Quinton Jackson and Little Nog to win that tournament. Uh, when he went to the UFC, people were already saying his best days were behind him, and perhaps that was true. But he still became the champion of that division, of course, losing it to John Jones. And he went on to fight in that division for 15 years. It was uh, His longevity was remarkable. Yes, his longevity. I mean, he is the last of the Pride fighters uh, fighting in the UFC, so no more uh, Pride alumni uh, competing. Uh, uh, Robbie Lawler. The... Robbie Lawler has a fight under the Pride banner, and he's oh, still he? trucking for it. So. Okay, all right. I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess that counts. Um, and uh, I, I got the chance to uh, see uh, Shogun win that UFC light heavyweight title at UFC 113 in Montreal by KOing Leota Machida, and so that is a fond memory for me as well. But you also can't talk about Shogun without talking about uh, the Dan Henderson fight uh, at uh, UFC 139. Uh, I think it's probably the best fight in UFC history, the best that I can recall, at least right now. And uh, I know that there's some contention about that, but just an incredible, incredible fight. And uh, even though he was on the losing end of that fight uh you know there was no shame in that and uh he would ultimately go on to rematch dan henderson later uh losing that one as well but that first one just one of the greatest mma fights ever 
Yeah, one of the greatest fights of all time, uh, one that's already been inducted into the UFC's Hall of Fame class. Um, that's per- perhaps the fight that he'll always be remembered for, one that probably should have been scored as a draw, so I don't even hold the loss against him in that one. Uh, it was it was an absolute war. And of course, on the exact same night as uh, Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler having another all-time great fight over on Bellator. Yes, definitely. One of the greatest nights in uh, MMA history. Um, all right. So why don't you uh, quickly run down some of the, uh, you know, the key fights remaining on uh, this card? Uh, I'm sure you want to mention the Bond Film Brothers and Jelton Almeida. Uh, we've got uh, a lot to cover in the second half of the show. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll g- give some quick thoughts on here. We have Bruno Fiera defeating Gregory Rodriguez by knockout in four minutes. Um, a fantastic knockout on short notice against a tough opponent. Tiago Moises defeating, oh my God, am I actually going to try this name? Melquizel Costa. <laughs> there are going to be some, there are going to be some Nailed mispronunciations it. here, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he defeats him by rear naked choke at four, mi- four minutes and five seconds of the second round. Uh, a pretty good win for Moises, who's a very talented fighter. We have Gabriel Bonfim, the second of the Bonfim brothers that fought on this card, defeating Mornier Lazez by guillotine choke in just 49 seconds. A very impressive debut. Uh, Jason Almeida defeating Shamil Abdurakimov by TKO at two minutes and 56 seconds of the second round. Uh, Almeida is an absolute monster and the scariest guy on the rise at heavyweight or light heavyweight right now. He's had no trouble uh, just mauling any of his opponents to this point. We have Cody Stammen defeating Luen Lacerda by unanimous decision, 29-28 all. I actually had the scorecard the other way around, but it was a very close fight. So uh, Cody Stammen ultimately gained his arm raised uh, regardless here. We have the second Bonfim brother, Ismail, defeating Terrence McKinney by knockout at 2 minutes and 17 seconds of the second round. Perhaps the overall performance of the night by any fighter on this card, complete with a uh, spectacular flying knee knockout that I'm sure will make all of the headlines. And we have Nicholas Dalby defeating Worley Alves by split decision. I do not remember this fight nor how I scored it. It happened a very long time ago. Josiane Nunes defeating Zara Farin by unanimous decision, uh, 29-28 all. I, I remember I scored it the same way. And starting off the night oh so long ago, Daniel Marcos defeating Salmon Oliveira, or Salmon Oliveira by TKO at 2 minutes and 18 seconds of the second round. And that was UFC 283. I felt like Excalibur there. <laughs> yes, uh, performance of the night bonuses going to Jailton Almeida, Ishmael Bonfim, and fight of the night going to Jamal Hill versus Glover Tejera. Kind of, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns uh, feels uh, a little uh, cruddy that he wasn't able to get a performance bonus considering how easily uh, he made it look to run through a veteran in Neil Magny. Uh, giving out one more performance bonus probably would have just bankrupted the company, obviously, so they couldn't do it. Well, yes. And that might be a topic that we discuss shortly because it is time to look back, not on last night, but last year, the year that was in MMA and a little bit in boxing in what we call the post MMA-ish award. 
So we had a series of categories that we posted in the Discord, and the Discord audience got to vote on them. And now we're going to talk about them and reveal our picks as well. We'll go through some predictions for 2023, what we think is going to happen. And uh, yeah, so why don't uh, we? Well, we probably should discuss this at a time, but uh, maybe we <laughs> take it. Maybe we take it one category at a time. Uh, I will start at the top with the female. Fighter of the Year. So the female fighter of the year nominees were Larissa Pacheco of the PFL, Zhang Wei Li of the UFC, Liz Carmouche of Bellator, Manon Fioro, Chris Cyborg of Parts Unknown, and the boxer Katie Taylor. Uh, Pacheco having that uh, huge uh, run in the PFL tournament and avenging her losses. To Kayla Harrison, you have Zhang Wei Li with her uh, big rematch uh, and ultimately regaining her uh, championship. Uh, and then you had Liz Carmouche becoming a Bellator champion, Manon Fioro winning three fights this year, Chris Cyborg winning in MMA and two fights in boxing, and then Katie Taylor uh, having two uh, big wins in boxing, but mainly the big one that Madison Square Garden headlined her against Amanda Serrano. So uh, with that said, the who was your pick for Female Fighter of the Year, Eric? Uh, my Female Fighter of the Year for 2022 was Zhang Weili. Um, started off the year with um, a really fun fight complete with one, a knockout of the year candidate against Ioana Janjacek, uh, who is arguably the greatest strawweight of all time. So uh, a huge win that set her up for a title fight against Carla Esparza, who she absolutely ran through with a very creative submission win as well to uh, reclaim her strawweight title. Just uh, a very good year for Zhang Weili. Yes, a tremendous year for her. Uh, hard to argue with that. In fact, uh, most of the Discord, that would be their pick as well. That would also be the John Pollock pick. So John Pollock going with Zhang Wei Li for Female Fighter of the Year. But of course, me being the contrarian, no, that's not my pick. My pick is Katie Taylor. Even though Katie Taylor only fought twice, and yes, she did not fight in MMA, that fight against Serrano at MSG is such a pivotal moment, I think, for women's boxing, where they did such a massive gate at such a huge venue. The fight itself was amazing, candidate for fight of the year, uh, and it really sets up a potential rematch. Especially uh, Now there's some problems with that, because it seems like her promoter and Serrano's promoter, Jake Paul, are having difficulty in coming to terms on that fight. But when it does happen, it will be huge. And I think it was will, in the long run, be really regarded as one of the pivotal moments in female boxing. And for that reason, Katie Taylor is my female fighter of the year. Oh, there you have it. And on to our uh, next category, I suppose, then, uh, male fighter of the year. Our nominees, of course, are the UFC featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. We have the newly crowned UFC middleweight champion, Alex Piera. We have Islam Makachev, who claimed the lightweight title in this past year. Uh, newly crowned uh, Bellator middleweight champion, Johnny Eblen. 
And of course, Aljamain Sterling, the UFC's bantamweight champion, who many thought would lose his crown in 2022, but he he did anything but defending his title twice. So um, uh, we will start off with your pick then, Phil. Yeah, I think this one was was a struggle for me. I mean, I'm still undecided to a certain degree between Volkanovski, Pehea, and Islam Makachev. Islam Makachev was my prediction for the 2020 uh, two fighter of the year, uh, when we did this show last year, uh, Volkanovsky only two fights, same with Makachev, Pahea, of course, three fights, although not quite as impressive of victories, minus, of course, the Israel Adesanya fight, which was incredible. With all that said, my pick is going to be Alexander Volkanovsky, I just thought that the quality of win versus Max Holloway was so exceptionally high. Uh, and, you know, he was prepared to fight again. He he was a backup for that Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira fight. And so just for the quality of those wins and establishing himself uh, essentially atop the pound for pound rankings um, at the end of the year, uh, he is my pick for the uh, 2022 Male Fighter of the Year. And thankfully, we're going to get to see him versus Islam Makachev uh, fairly soon, assuming uh, everybody stays healthy. Yeah, I actually thought this is one of the easier categories to choose for me of the ones. <laughs> I thought it was fairly clearly Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, he just he he had a spectacular um, performance in both of his fights. Uh, first defeating the Korean Zombie. When people, when people uh, went into that fight, the expectation was, yeah, Volkanovski is probably going to win, but it's going to be a really entertaining fight while it lasts. Well, he looked so much quicker than the Korean Zombie in that fight that it was really just a three-round massacre until he finally got the finish. And after that fight, you know what everyone said? They're like, well, the Korean Zombie's washed. He's he's too old. He's taking too much damage. He's done. And now we'll see what he can do against Max Holloway, who's looked fantastic in his last couple. Well, guess what? He made Max Holloway look old, washed, and fragile. That's how good Alexander Volkanovski was this last year. To cap it all off, he claims the top uh, spot on the pound-for-pound pound list in the world after Kamaru Usman's defeat. Um, a really a spectacular year for Alexander Volkanovsky, who will look to have perhaps an even more spectacular 2023 as he attempts to challenge Islam Makachev for his lightweight title. But yeah. uh, the Discord did disagree with us because that, uh, the yes. Discord overwhelmingly voted for Alex Pierre as the 2022 Male Fighter of the Year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as easy as it was for you, it was just as easy for the Discord members to vote against Alex Volkanovsky. And uh, our, our our overlord, John Pollock, his pick for the 2022 Male Fighter of the Year, Alex Volkanovsky. So Alex Volkanovsky sweeping the board of post-show hosts. So but he uh, just doesn't connect with the fans. <laughs> Isn't that what they used to say about him? I guess, I guess it's still true. Yeah. Yes. Maybe, maybe more uh, cooking shows. will will we'll get him over uh, next year. All right. Moving on through the awards. We're now going to look at the 2022 KO of the year. Probably one of the easier categories to decide. We had Leon Edwards, incredible head kick of Kamaru Usman. Zhang Weili versus Joanna Janjacek, spinning back fist, knockout. Michael Chandler, front kick to the face of Tony Ferguson. And Marlon Vera, head kick knockout of legend Dominic Cruz. The Discord was unanimous. I'm pretty sure 
we're unanimous. Eric, who I was your pick are, for for the knockout of the year? There may have been uh, more spectacular and brutal creative knockouts, but there is nothing that will stick in the minds of MMA fans more than Leon Edwards down big on the scorecards, landing a high kick that knocks Kamaro Usman out cold, ending his undefeated UFC run at 15 consecutive wins and crowning Leon Edwards as the new welterweight champion. Um, one of the greatest moments in the history of the company, really, uh, made even better, perhaps, by the commentary who were in the middle of writing this man off uh, just before John Annex says that that line, but that's not the cloth in which Leon Edwards is cut. And then there's the knockout. Um, just spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Yes. And uh, that too is, is my pick. And that too is the John Pollock pick for the knockout of the year. I don't think that there's much more that uh, I can say that is uh, better than what how you described it. And uh, we'll actually have a little bit of an opportunity to talk about it later in the uh, nominees as well. All right, moving right along to submission of the year then. Starting off with Jessica Andrade uh, submitting Amanda Lamos with a standing arm triangle. Uh, next up, we have Zhang Weili with a crucifix rear naked choke against Carla Esparza, uh, one that I can't say I've seen before. Paul Craig submitting Nikita Krylov with a triangle and typical Paul Craig fashion. Corey McKenna submitting Miranda Granger with a Von Flu choke. And of course, Yuri Prohoshka's rear naked choke over Glover Teixeira that crowned him as the UFC's light heavyweight champion at the end of a very wild fight where he was down on the scorecards, not unlike Leon Edwards. Uh, starting off with you, Phil, what was your submission of the year? So my submission of the year is Yuri Prohoshka defeating uh, Glover Teixeira in that uh, light heavyweight battle. Uh, while the submission itself is uh, one we see all the time in MMA, I think much like the KO of the year, it was all about the circumstances. The fact that it was such a wild fight, and it really did look like if the fight had continued just a little bit longer, it was going to go to the judges' scorecards, and Glover Tejera was going to get the victory. So just the fact that Yuri was able to persevere through such a incredible back-and-forth tough fight and secure that last-second uh, submission... That's why it is my submission of the year. Um, I decided to go in a different direction. I went with Jessica Andrade's uh, standing arm triangle against Amanda Lamos. I thought this was an excellent uh, submission victory, one that you very rarely see in the sport. It really just showcased um, Andrade's ridiculous strength against a very tough opponent in Amanda Lamos. And uh, guess what, Phil? The Discord agrees with both of us because it is a tie between Amanda Lemos's standing arm triangle or Jessica Andrade's standing arm triangle that is against Lemos and Yuri Prohoshka's rear naked choke over Glover uh, Teixeira. That's not what I see. I see that uh, Yuri is the winner. How, uh, how, how, I see it differently. Is, I see well, uh, three votes for Andrade and three votes for Yuri. I see, strange. I see four votes for Yuri. I think we're gonna have to look. Uh, we're gonna have to look at the people here. Yeah, I think. I, 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 you, you, you must. There's uh, stop oh, the no. count. Stop the count. <laughs> <laughs> there's two. There's a hanging Chad. Um, that that's a reference for uh, before your time, I believe. Yeah, I didn't follow that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
well, I see four votes for We Yuri. will trust Phil here. We yes. Will trust Phil yes. here. But uh, as important as uh, the uh, the award for the Discord is, we must hear from our resident expert, Mr. John Pollock, and his choice for submission of the year. The Pollock pick is Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Teixeira. So an, another another uh, feather for that uh, submission over the others. Yes. All right. So now moving down the awards list from submission of the year, K of the year, it's time to talk about fight of the year. So we just mentioned it, Yuri Prohaska defeating Glover Teixeira. We have Charles Oliveira, somebody who's no uh, stranger to fight of the year contenders. Uh, defeating Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. Both men always in incredible fights, and that fight delivering everything we expected and more. Stephen Thompson versus Kevin Holland, a fight uh, at uh, you know uh, really stood out at the end of the year. Hamzat Shemaev versus Gilbert Burns, a fight that we talked about earlier today when we were reviewing Gilbert Burns's uh, latest victory over Neil Magny. Luke Rockhold versus Paula Costa, one of the most disgusting fights <laughs> in UFC history. And the aforementioned Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. So, with the nominees there, which one is your pick for fight of the year? I went with Yuri Prohashka versus Glover Teixeira. Um, this fight was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, 25 minutes of insane momentum changes, uh, both guys being rocked, mission attempts from both fighters, and with Glover finally starting to pull away at the fight in the final minutes, Yuri mounting that last-minute comeback to to secure the rear naked choke finish and, and win the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. Uh, one of the wildest fights in, in the history of the sport. Yes, and that too is my pick. Uh, this one was uh, was actually quite a bit was quite difficult. I, I think just sort of the circumstances of it, you know, being a title fight uh, and being back and forth in the last minute nature of it. But uh, the Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler one was really incredible. And as I already mentioned, you know, I have a soft spot for boxing, and that Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight was tremendous. Um, so uh, I, I think of you know, those were the three that I was really struggling with. But ultimately, I did pick Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Tejera, and so did John Pollock. That was, as well, his 2022 fight of the year. Uh, did we get the Discord's uh, vote on that one? The Discord almost not quite unanimous, but definitely definitive. Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Tejera as well. Yeah, it, it was really a, a spectacular fight. Perhaps the most entertaining light heavyweight title fight I, I can recall. It was um, a spectacular one. One that will be remembered uh, for, for mm -hmm. pretty much as long as uh, we talk about the names Glover Tejera and Yuri Prohaska, uh, especially as Glover walks into his retirement now. Anyways, uh, moving on to round of the year. We're going to start with Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler, uh, the first round of their fights. Uh, the first round of Michael Chandler fights, man. They are always crazy. And this one was no exception because he is going out for the kill from the opening bell here. And he nearly gets it. He, he hurts Dustin a couple times. Uh, Dustin goes as far as to say afterwards that he nearly had him finished at one point. But Poirier manages to hold on. 
and he fires back, uh, practically dropping Chandler before the end of the round. Um, really spectacular stuff. Uh, our next contender here is Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje, the first round of their fight. Uh, I was going to say for the UFC lightweight championship, but it was only half for the UFC lightweight championship after Charles Oliveira missed weight. So strange circumstances, but a very entertaining belt where um, much like Michael Chandler in the aforementioned fight, Justin Gaethje was just swinging for the fences, um, drops uh, Oliveira a couple times, but in typical Charles Oliveira fashion, he manages to fire back, drop Justin Gaethje and secure the submission. We have the first round of Yuri Prohoshka versus Glover Teixeira. We just talked about the insanity of that fight. Although you could really, I feel like you could uh, nominate all five rounds of this one, more or less. And then we have Sumadurji versus uh, Matt Schnell. This fight, not as high profile as the other ones, but the, perhaps the craziest of the bunch, with Schnell getting dropped and rocked over and over and over again just to fire back and get the late stoppage victory in the round. So, um... Four very strong contenders. Uh, which one did you go with, Phil? Uh, definitely, yeah. Four very strong contenders. But uh, I ultimately went with uh, Poirier versus Chandler round one. I mean, both of these men always in exciting fights, uh, along with, uh, you know, the the next candidate on this list, uh, Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. But, uh, yeah, just the back and forth action of that and just as well – you know, the fact that we anticipated it was going to be a barn burner and it was delivering and, uh, yeah, it was absolute chaos and, uh, everything that we love about, uh, watching these two guys, two guys fight. So that's why it was my pick for round of the year. Yeah, it really lived up to the expectations that were thrown at it. And uh, I I found this was perhaps the hardest category to choose from because these were all very entertaining fights. But uh, at the end of it, I decided to go with Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje, the first round or only round of their fight. Um, Just a spectacular, spectacular, hard-hitting fight. Uh, Just what you would expect between these two guys who were uh, exclusively in wars, not unlike Poirier and Chandler. Uh, The Discord went with round one of Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. And what was John Pollock's pick, Phil? John Pollock pick for round of the year goes to Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier. Round one. There you have it. Yes. So moving on to the next category, event of the year. Six excellent events. UFC on ESPN, Santos versus Hill. UFC Fight Night Rodriguez versus Lemos. UFC 281 Adesanya versus Pereira. UFC on ESPN Thompson versus Holland. Once again mentioned UFC 275 Tejera versus Prohaska. And the surprising entrant on this list, the PFL World Championship on pay-per-view. Who would have thought? For the 16 people who actually watched this, they they may have enjoyed what they saw. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, before uh, we go with your pick, just worthwhile to just talk about that PFL pay-per-view. I mean, yes, absolutely bizarre that, you know, PFL would go to pay-per-view with, with this card. You know, yeah, you've got Kayla Harrison, who's, you know, developing into a, a, rel- a big name in MMA. But the idea of with no real... Uh, pay-per-view drawing experience, asking people to buy this event on 
Black Friday, I believe it was as well. Uh, but so, yeah, probably not a large audience for it. But in terms of action and great moments, it was a very, very good card. And uh, that was sort of exasperate, exasperated, exasperated. I don't know. It was just there was exclamation was put on it with that incredible comeback win or upset win, I should say, rather by Pacheco over Harrison in the main event. Um, but uh, with all that said, uh, what was your event of the year, Eric? Well, I'm glad you did all the preamble for that PFL card because that was not my uh, card of the year. I actually went with UFC 281, Adesanya versus Piera. Um, multiple title changes, some dramatic finishes, a great fight with Dustin Poirier and Mike Chandler. Uh, just a, a really fun night of fights, and I thought it was the best card of the year. Uh, yes, it was tremendous. And my pick is UFC 281. Adesanya versus Pereira. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, another Madison Square Garden show, uh, Izzy's, you know, fought there now multiple times. And uh, the fact that the main event was such a great fight and the whole card was really tremendous. Uh, we already talked about uh, Poirier versus Chandler uh, on that. And uh, the Discord also agreed by selecting the watermelon indicating juiciness, flavorfulness, and just very satisfying UFC 281 Adesanya versus Pereira and John Pollock. Event UFC 281, although he does have an honorable mention for an unlisted item. He went off grid. UFC London in March. A uh, spectacular crowd and atmosphere to that one. And if we're going to go with that one, I would actually say UFC France one up UFC London in terms of uh, crowd energy. So I'll give a shout out to UFC France. Uh, on to our next category, then comeback of the year. And if there was ever a year for comeback of the year, uh, it was this year because there was a lot of spectacular ones. Um, Starting off with, of course, Leon Edwards stopping Kamaru Usman uh, down on the scorecards a minute it, with a minute remaining in their fight. Uh, next off, we have Alex Pierre stopping Israel Adesanya in the final round of their middleweight title fight. Also one where Pierre was down on the scorecards and it looked like Israel Adesanya was about to cruise to victory. We have Matt Schnell's comeback versus Suma Durji. I just mentioned it when we were talking about the round of the year. This was... Uh, Truly spectacular. If you haven't seen this, I would seriously suggest uh, seeking it out. Drew Dober coming back versus Terrence McKinney. Uh, Drew, Drew Dober was dropped twice in the opening seconds of this one, but comes back to the secure finish before the end of the round. And we have Yuri Prohashka submitting Glover Teixeira in the final 30 seconds of their fight. Um, the comeback of the year is Leon Edwards stopping Kamaru Usman with a minute remaining in their fight. Is this like... Do we have to or? <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, that is the consensus <laughs> pick. That is the pick of the Discord. That is the pick of myself. And that is the pick of the Honorable John Pollock. So uh, uh, a truly just a spectacular moment. It's it's something that will be very hard to ever measure up to, to for a guy to defeat the pound for pound king a, a, a minute away from tying the overall record for a UFC win streak. Um, down on the scorecards. He had already lost to Usman going into the fight. It was just a great moment. All right, moving on to the next category, rivalry of the year. Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya, of course, carrying over their kickboxing history to MMA. Francis Ngannou versus the UFC, a rivalry that has seemed to continue into 2023. 
Paulo Costa versus the UFC. Constant battles over contract negotiations. Ariel Helwani versus Patty Pimblett. And Danny Sabatello versus Ruffian Stotts. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, rivalry that, you know, made for good, uh, build up, but when it came to fight time, uh, not so much. I mean, uh, you, you can only expect so much from uh, a Danny Sabatello fight at this point. So, uh, you know, a lot of the time that's what it is. It's the hype that gets you uh, invested in the outcome and, and the fight is not always going to live up to it. But um, uh, I went with Francis Ngannou versus the UFC. I thought this was the most captivating, uh, real rivalry of the year um, that really ended with Francis Ngannou departing from the company. So. Um, Unfortunate, an unfortunate ending to this uh, year-long saga, but uh, I think a lot of credit has to go to Francis Ngannou for sticking up for not only himself, but uh, every fighter in the company. Yeah, and I think I, as well, just maintained a certain level of consistency. You know, he, he said things he wanted. He said he, he's been consistent throughout this whole process before his contract ex- expired after his contract expired, and now that he's been quote-unquote released from the UFC, he's been very consistent about what he wants, uh, the stringent nature of the UFC contracts, and how, uh, you know, fighters are essentially not powerless, but very diminished power when uh, taking on the UFC. Um, That was not my pick. My pick was actually... Alex Pereira versus Israel Desanya, Adesanya. Uh, just a great rivalry that really started from the kickboxing history. I remember when we first, when you first saw Alex Pereira debut in the UFC, we knew that he was there for the opportunity to fight Israel Adesanya. He was going to get fast-tracked, and if he was able to get the wins with the few guys that the UFC put in front of him, he was going to get a chance at Israel Adesanya. And, of course, he did at UFC 21 at Madison Square Garden. It was a great performance where he was down on the scorecards but was able to get a finish late, and it looks like that rivalry is going to continue because despite three victories by Alex a fourth fight, second in MMA, seems like an inevitability, and uh, I don't think anybody would be complaining about that. And? Uh, no, definitely not. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Eric. Uh-oh. Are you having technical difficulties? Oh, no. You're back. Okay, good. Uh- <laughs> there are a lot of difficulties right now, but I am trying so hard to power through with them. Okay. All right. Well, 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 hopefully you can hang on for just a little bit longer. Uh, the Discord pick actually goes to Ariel Helwani versus Patty Pimblett. Certainly a rivalry that made a lot of noise towards the end of the year with Patty Pimblett uh, going on, uh, having uh, Dana White on his podcast, or was it Patty Pimblett on Dana White's podcast? I don't know who was on whose podcast, but it was just the disgusting uh, assault on Ariel Helwani. Ariel Helwani, of course, coming back with receipts for days on uh, the whole story. Uh, this is a topic that's been done to death. And, um, you know, Ariel 10-7-ing another uh, MMA fighter who was stupid enough to challenge him. And so that is the Discord pick for the rivalry of the year. But that is different from the John Pollock pick. 
John Pollock pick for rivalry of the year, Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya. So, yes. All solid choices. Uh, Moving on to story of the year. Uh, We start off with the fighter pay saga continuing, of course. Uh, This is for all of MMA, but largely the UFC and its fighters. Um, The fighters are not getting a large portion of the share, so to speak. And uh, that continued to be a huge topic in 2022, um, spurred on largely by the Francis Ngannou's um, largely sitting out and eventually leaving the company. So a huge story. we move on to UFC's 279's Fight Week Insanity. Uh, so what happened this week was basically the top three fights on this card all got shuffled around. So every fighter in the top three fights ended up with a new opponent on weigh-in day. Um, something I, I can never recall seeing before, and I doubt we'll see again uh, following this. Uh, really, really strange times. PFL uh, moving to pay-per-view. Um this was interesting uh, choice. I think we've already went into um, it, it was a very questionable move and perhaps a move that PFL will continue to experiment with in this upcoming year. We will see how successful they are. Uh, Francis Ngannou's contract very much ties into the entire fighter pay saga. We have the James Krause betting scandal. Um, this really rocked the final months of the year. James Krause, of course, in deep, deep trouble for gambling uh, with insider information on uh, his own fighters, even at times, and ultimately being removed from the sport altogether. We have Douglas Crosby's horrible judging. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is one that could have went to uh, a, a lot of judges, but Douglas Crosby in particular had some suspect scorecards uh, throughout the year. And finally, Nate Diaz leaving the UFC. Um, always a, a very tough choice when we look back on the year that was the, the biggest story, but I'm going to go with Francis Ngannou leaving the UFC as the biggest story of the year. Wow, Eric, you're flying solo, flying solo yeah, on, on this one. That's, that, that is a, that, that is a big surprise. I mean, uh, not that that wasn't a big story because, you know, having the heavyweight champion leave as champion to, uh, pursue, uh, you know, either, you know, potentially boxing or, uh, fight with another promotion is, is a huge story. Um, but, uh, ultimately that wasn't my pick. My pick was the James Krause betting scandal, which is also the Discord pick and also the John Pollock pick. And, uh, I think the reason for that is, is multifold. First of all, I mean, A, it was a betting scandal that, not just affected a UFC trainer, it affected all of his fighters, it affected multiple fighters, it ultimately led to the removal of UFC betting from Alberta and Ontario, Ontario only being reinstated just this weekend for UFC 283. Uh, We know that there is uh, some type of federal investigation going on into it. There's uh, the state of Nevada is investigating it as well. And so um, there could be more revelations that come. So uh, what is 2022's story of the year may turn out to even be 2023's story of the year. So uh, for all those reasons, that's why it is my pick as well. Yes. All right. Moving on. Upset of the year. Always fun. The upsets. Larissa Pacheco defeating Kayla Harrison at the PFL on pay-per-view. Kayla Harrison having two previous wins over Larissa. Alex Pereira 
defeating Israel Adesanya, even though Pereira did have wins in kickboxing. He had far less experience in MMA. Leon Edwards with that incredible comeback win over Kamaru Usman. Poor Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley defeating him in a very close fight and what many would say is controversial, although it was, it was a competitive fight, so I don't know how controversial it was. Although there was a fair amount of uh, disgruntled viewers with that one. Aljamain Sterling also defeating Piotr Jan in, in a fight that was far less controversial than the Sean O'Malley one. And in boxing, Dimitri Bivol defeating Canelo Alvarez, his first loss in several, several years since losing to Floyd Mayweather. So uh, with all those, what was your upset of the year, Eric? Um, I went with Larissa Pacheco defeating Kayla Harrison. I mean, she was the only uh, fighter to go the distance with Kayla Harrison before that. So, so she had, uh, well, so, someone did it. Sorry, I say that, but actually in Kayla Harrison's uh, first fight of the year, she went the distance as well. So there you have it. But nonetheless, I think everyone expected Kayla Harrison to pick up another win here. She's just been so dominant. But uh, Larissa Pacheco really brought the fight and uh, she got her arm raised deservedly at the end of it. So th- th- that's my upset of the year. Yes, it is also the Discord pick for the upset of the year, overwhelmingly, and is the John Pollock pick for the upset of the year, and it is my pick for upset of the year. I think just the fact that there was already two losses, and uh, Larissa really showed so much improvements for this fight. I mean, her defensive wrestling and her count and her ability to escape even when she was taken down and not just escape, but even create offense off of her back really made the difference in this fight. And uh, I look forward to the two going at it again, because I think that the line will be, you know, very, very close. uh, And it's kind of one of the few, if not only marquee fight that the PFL has right now. Yeah, I mean, like Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman, a big upset, but these were, you know, two of the top welterweights in the world. You can say the same thing with the likes of the uh, Piotr Jan fights, um, Alex Piera, big underdog, not a lot of MMA experience, but does have two wins against Israel Adesanya. Well, this is one where Kayla Harrison was an astronomical favorite, and she had already beat uh, Pacheco twice. So um, uh, a hell of a win, and very deservingly our upset of the year. Uh, I guess we're moving right on into uh, worst fight of the year. And, you know, every single year there's there, there's so many cards that there's bound to be a, a lot of contenders when we go back and talk about the worst fight of the year. And um, this year was really no exception. So I, I'm going to run down the list of our worst fight of the year nominees, um, starting with Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas 2. Um, the next one on the list here is Carla Esparza versus Rose Nama Yunus 2. We also have Carla Esparza versus Rose Nama Yunus 2. And our final nominee is Carla Esparza versus Rose Nama Yunus 2. So this was um, a very difficult choice for me. But <laughs> no, no, this fight was so fucking bad. This was one of the worst fights in the history of the sport. The only thing that saves it from being the worst fight in the history of the sport was that there was a time limit. Because if there wasn't <laughs> a time limit, they would still be circling each other to this day. Um, absolutely dreadful. Uh, it, of course, it's my pick. It's your pick. It's the Discord's pick. It, I assume it's John Pollock's pick. It is everyone in the world's pick. Uh, please keep these fighters far, far, far away from each other, because this was um in a league of its own as uh, in terms of bad fights. 
Yes, and much like uh, you know the Yuri Prohaska uh, versus Glover Tejera fight, you know was a pick because of the circumstances, the high profile nature of the fight. This sort of fits in as well, not only because I mean it's just awful on its own merits, but the fact that it was a title fight in such a prominent position also adds to the fact that it's just utterly awful, trash, puke, poop emoji, all of that, or. Uh, Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas 2. All right. Moving on to the next category. Interesting one. They really dropped the ball on. So sort of uh, somebody made some mistakes. Somebody screwed up. Somebody got some, just didn't put it together. Just a fumble, a fumble through the year. So nominees for the fumbles of the year. Bellator with promoting their shows. I mean. What's what's the last notable Bellator show that you can remember? I mean, they do have an event coming up on February 4th, but even that, I mean, we could be very critical on the promotion of that one. The PFL on pay-per-view, we talked about that, just like, who is the audience for this event? Yes, it was a good card after the fact, but in terms of luring an audience, UFC and Francis Ngannou not coming to terms, UFC letting their heavyweight champion go. <clears throat> Tommy Fury, not fighting Jake Paul. I mean, uh, Tommy, Tommy Fumbles, as he's like to be called by one Jake Paul. Of course, that fight does sound like it's booked, but who knows if it's actually going to materialize. Hamzat Shemaev missing weight for a huge fight with Nate Diaz uh, and really just screwing up that entire UFC 279 fight card. And the UFC once again... In 2022, letting a year go by and John Jones not getting booked for a fight. So those are the nominees for they really dropped the ball on. Eric, what was your pick? I, of course, picked the UFC with Francis Ngannou. Just a, a huge fumbling of perhaps a, a guy who could have been a breakout star for this promotion and is now no longer in it. But I've already talked a lot about that. It is my pick. But I just want to go in on Bellator for a second. This <laughs> this promotion, man. They for so long they've been the number two in, in MMA, but they I don't even know when they're running cards half the time anymore. And I feel like I'm as in touch with the sport as anyone. And I have no idea when Bellator is running half the time. They 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 go at completely random times. Like sometimes they have cards in the middle of the fucking afternoon. Um it's it sometimes they switch days too sometimes it's randomly on a saturday instead of a friday they don't promote anything i like it's a complete disaster of a promotion right now maybe they're still number two in the world i i don't know but it doesn't feel like it um just e even when the fights and the shows are good and i do think Bellator has actually stepped up um the quality of their production uh, like there's less huge gaps in between fights and whatnot but if nobody's watching it, who even cares? It doesn't matter. So I, I thought this was a dreadful year for Bellator MMA. Yeah, they seem to to not have a lot of traction, and, and there's just not a lot of emotional connection to the to what they're doing. I think you know we've been critical of PFL. Um, you know, some of the cards are just woefully slow paced. Um, but they at least have a format that's interesting. You know, the fighters are fighting for something. Uh, Bellator has tournaments, but you don't know when they're going to happen and get completed. You know, a PFL season will get completed within the time frame, and somebody is going to walk away with a million dollars. And uh, they've been aggressive at signing people. Um, 
So I think you, I think, are they the, who's number two? Uh, I think it's a debate now, at least like Bellator was the clear number two. And now it's a debate. Now, uh, that being said, my pick for the really dropped the ball on, well, this one's tough. (laughs) I, part of me wants to say PFL. Part of me wants to say Hamzat Shemaev. But the reason why I'm not going to say Hamzat Shemaev is because, yes, he dropped the ball on a huge potential matchup with Nate Diaz. You know, would have been his by far his highest profile UFC fight. I don't think it really makes a difference because the UFC doesn't seem to care that he missed weight by so much. He's either going to move up or they'll let him try welterweight one more time. And they're not going to they're going to put him in a prominent position, right? He's going to headline a card or be right up there. So while, yes, he dropped the ball in the opportunity to fight Nate Diaz and most likely defeat him, I don't think that there's really going to be too many consequences for that. So my pick is going to be PFL on pay-per-view. Not Again, not because it was a bad card. It was a very good card with good fights and good stories, fighters winning millions of dollars, but just it seems so short-sighted to go to pay-per-view at this point when you really haven't established any marquee names who people have demonstrated that they really are willing to pay for. Uh, and then, of course, having this pay-per-view be on Black Friday, Thanksgiving weekend in the United States when people are doing all sorts of other things, putting it on a Friday night as well, just because who's... People are used to buying pay-per-views on Saturdays. That's when they buy MMA pay-per-views. So uh, all of these sort of bizarre business decisions uh, is why I picked them as the ball dropper of the year. Uh, They do plan to continue uh, into uh, pay-per-view in 2023, and that will be a topic of the uh, predictions that we do in just a little bit. But that was my pick. It is also the John Pollock pick, PFL dropping the ball on pay-per-view this year, but the Discord, the Discord, siding with you, Eric. It seems like the letting their UFC champion walk away, a free agent to go do whatever he wants, boxing, boxing, MMA hybrid, MMA. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds for Francis Ngannou? But that seems to be the consensus consensus pick in the Discord for they really dropped the ball on. Moving on to Broadcaster of the Year, our nominees for 2022, John Anik, Brendan Fitzgerald, Paul Felder, Michael Bisping, and Ariel Helwani. Um, mostly UFC staff here, of course, uh, from their commentary team, as well as Ariel Helwani, who, of course, uh, does so many things in the sport. Um, I went with John Anik. I think he's the gold standard for commentary, and he adds so much to the UFC broadcast. Um, he had a really good year. And uh, he's kind of like the safe choice, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, safe choice, workhorse. And, and uh, you know, if anything, he gets better, right? He puts in the work, yeah. you know, has the knowledge. I mean, you already mentioned, you know, that, you know, the key line just before Leon Edwards had his incredible comeback. I mean, that enhances that moment so much. So it, it's he's such a, a pivotal part of the broadcast. Um, my pick was Ariel Helwani. Um of course, he has his uh, 
twice a week show. Last week, it was three times in the week. Uh, but uh, he has his twice a week show. But on top of that, he does all this work for BT Sport, covering MMA and WWE. And now he also does work for Showtime, doing boxing. And he did live ringside commentary for uh, the Jake Paul Anderson Silva fight. And I thought he did a tremendous job there. And uh, so uh, Ariel Hawani gets my pick for the broadcaster of the year. Uh, moving on to the oh, Discord hey, hey, hey. Uh, Oh, the there Discord we go. Sorry. decided to go <laughs> with none other than John Anik, who, I mean, we also got uh, a decent amount of votes for Helwani as well as Michael Bisping, but by a decent amount, John Anik is uh, our winner for 2022. How, how about John Pollock? John Pollock picked John Anik. John Pollock picked John Anik. John Anik was picked by John <laughs> Pollock. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Next category. Prospect slash breakthrough fighter of the year. Aaron Blanchfield. Arnold Allen. Both undefeated fighters. Bilal Muhammad. A bit of an unusual pick because he's somebody... It's hard to say that he broke through necessarily. This year, but he established himself as right up there as someone to be a title contender very, very soon. Sergei Pavlovich, another terrifying heavyweight. Roman Dolidze, with an incredible run, just uh, just dominating his opposition this year. So, of those picks, my pick is Bilal Muhammad. And the reason why I pick Bilal Muhammad is, yes, he's somebody who's been in the UFC a long time. He has wins over a variety of fighters, but he always sort of seemed like somebody that was going to be more of a gatekeeper type fighter and was always labeled as unexciting. And not to say he suddenly became the most thrilling fighter in the UFC, but he did finish a... A uh, very highly touted prospect in Sean Brady. His game looks way more well-rounded than it has in the past. And as I just say, stated, he seems extremely close to getting that uh, welterweight title shot. So for all of those reasons, Bilal Muhammad is my pick for prospect sash breakthrough fight of the year. And is the consensus discord pick as well. What about you, Eric? I went with Roman Delaide. I mean, coming into this year, he kind of just felt like another guy in the division. I mean, he had a solid like three and one record in the UFC. So it's not like he was uh, in the middle of the pack or anything, but he hadn't made a name for himself. He would just be another name you'd see on the prelims, perhaps. Well, this year he comes out, he knocks out Kyle Dalgas, he knocks out Phil Haas, and then he knocks out Jack Hermanson, who's actually a fairly high ranked opponent. So uh, when I think of breakthrough, that's exactly what I think of a year like that. And I, I had to give up to him. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, it's particularly that last uh, victory over Hermanson, where he just completely like controlled him on the ground. You know, yeah, Hermanson, it was such no an impressive performance, like one that you watch and you're like, oh, okay, this guy, he's legit. Definitely, John Pollock pick though. John Pollock pick. Are you ready for it? John Pollock doesn't like our nominees. He likes his nominee. Shavkat Rachmanov. Shavkat Rachmanov. 
Now, in retrospect, yes, this is probably somebody that should have been on, on our nominee list. Uh, but he did only have two fights in uh, 2022. But nonetheless, dominant performances and somebody who is definitely going to uh, be challenging near the top of the division very, very soon. So uh, I have no problem with that John Pollock pick. Yeah. That is a, a great pick by John, and I think the only reason that, uh, at least I didn't think to nominate him, is I already think of him as one of the best fighters in in that division. So it feel, even though he is right, he did make that name for himself this year, it feels like he's already, like, I, I rank him just as highly as I rank Hamza Chimaev. So he's he's a hell of a fighter, and, and this could be a really big year for him in 2023. All right. Uh, what category are we at now? Prospect. What the uh, fuck? Here we go. What yes. the fuck, Eric? The, Aren't you paying attention? <laughs> the what the fuck moment of the year. Um, we start off with Luke Rockhold smearing his blood all over Paula Costa in what was a a very gross moment, but also a, a strangely badass one in Luke Rockhold's final fight uh, for now. We have Anthony Joshua's bizarre post-fight speech after losing to Alexander Yusek. Next up, we have Ernesto Moyacano's uh, profanity-lin post-fight interview after submitting Brad Riddell. Um, I'll just say that's not my pick, but it's the great. If, you, if they, we had a category for greatest moment of the year, then Ernesto Moyacano would win with this with this post-fight interview because it was so entertaining. And finally, we have the UFC shuffling the top three fights of UFC 279 on 24 hours notice. And I will tell you that that is my pick in terms of just that what the fuck is going on kind of moment this year. Uh, that one wins in a landslide for me. Uh, how about you, Phil? Uh, that was my pick. It was also the John Pollock pick. Uh, I think it, I mean, it was so wild because yeah, they're changing the top three fights, uh, right there. I mean, uh, Hamza Chemayev misses weight by so much. Um, and what also oddly made it what the fuck for me was I kind of predicted it. I, I prior to that, at the announced at UFC 278 that Tony Ferguson was joining uh, the card because you know there were some rumors that it wasn't selling that great at the box office, so they were looking to beef it up. And I said, you know, Tony's also on this card to fill in in case somebody can't make the main event, and I assumed that would be Hamza because of, you know, potential weight issues. And lo and behold, it it happens. But just because, you know, I, I thought of it as a possibility doesn't mean that it still <laughs> didn't, uh, you know, just like hit me over the head like a bag of hammers, especially considering the other fights that had to be uh, rearranged uh, on that card. So, uh, and I mean, with only 24 hours to go, just uh, utterly crazy. And then, of course, you also had the backstage uh antics that led to Kevin Holland taking on Hamzat Shemaev and there was all sorts of other rumors of uh, backstage altercations so uh, yeah it, it was an absolutely wild uh, couple of uh, yeah 24 hours leading up to that fight and uh, still did deliver a very uh, exciting card yeah, it was a very wild night, and uh, it was the Discord's pick as well, although every single nominee got votes on this one. Excellent, excellent. All right, so it's time for the final award, and I can tell you John went off-grid again on this one, so so <laughs> there's not going to be a consensus pick. So the award for the low light of the year, 
the worst moment of the year. We already talked about Patty Pimblett and Dana White smearing Ariel Hawani. You know, smearing Ariel Hawani is nothing new for Dana White, but uh, for Patty Pimblett, this kind of came out of nowhere, especially considering they had a good history together. Douglas Crosby's horrible judging. I mean, he flew across the country and in 24 hours uh, produced some of the worst scorecards in recent memory. And then TJ Dillashaw losing to Aljamain Sterling with only one shoulder, knowing very well that he was in no condition to fight for weeks on end ahead of time, nonetheless still competing, and then shortly after retiring again due to said injury. So those are the three nominees. My pick is Patty Pimblett and Dana White smearing Ariel Helwani. Not because, you know, we haven't seen these things before, but just the complete, ridiculous, vicious nature of it. How false it clearly was based on all of the evidence that Ariel Helwani produced. And just this, the level of glee that Dana seems to take in just trashing Ariel. It's, it's, it's perverse. I, 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 I don't understand it. Okay, you don't like him, but just... Then, then let it let it be. Let it be, like the Beatles said. Let it be. <laughs> Eric, what's your pick? Um, I gave a lot of thought to this one, and I have decided to go off grid myself. Oh, excellent, excellent! Because there was a a huge little light that uh, I forgot to nominate, and that was. Frankie Edgar's retirement fight, um, just being fed to Chris Gutierrez at a point in his career in which every single person knew Frankie Edgar was going to get knocked out in the first round. Uh, an absolutely depressing moment and a sad send off to a real legend of the sport. So just uh, a horrible, horrible low light. And that's my that's my winner, if you want to call it that. <laughs> well, I was, was going to say it's an excellent pick, but it's actually not an excellent pick, I guess, is, is the no, better it's... way to put it. The <laughs> Discord overwhelmingly picked, well, not overwhelmingly, it was mostly picked the Patty Pimblet and Dana White smearing Ariel. A, a fair amount of people also picked Douglas Crosby. But as I uh, alluded to just a moment ago, John Pick going off grid with his selection for what could be 2023's low light of the year as well. And the Pollock pick is Dana White launches power slap. <laughs> right. So I, I, I think it's a fair pick, but of course we didn't get any actual power slap in 2022, but nonetheless, it was a launch. It was announced. It was recorded. They knew what was going on and you had uh, the agreement for it to air after AEW Dynamite. And now, in retrospect, with everything that's happened already in 2023, of course, Dana White on um, video uh, in a physical altercation, to put it mildly, with his wife. And then the launch of this just utterly perverse television show, uh, John Pollock's pick for Dana White launching Power Slap. Can't really argue with that one too much. No, no, that's a pretty strong choice there. All right. So those are the last year awards. We're ready to move on to some predictions. But before we go to 2023 predictions, I think we should review the 2022 predictions. Okay. So 2022 predictions for fighter of the year. Eric predicted surreal gone. That 
You know, not a bad choice. Ultimately, not a bad choice at all. No, uh, I picked it. Islam Makachev. That I think that one was pretty good. I mean, he certainly was Very in the nominated list. John Pollock, not as good. Max Holloway. Oh, John, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a little rough go for Max. I mean, he lost that huge fight to Alex Volkanovsky, and we haven't seen him since. Um, whether maybe he'll be coming back in 2023 uh, with fight. Maybe it'll be at 155. I don't know. Um, but uh, Max Holloway had taken a lot of time off after that Volkanovsky loss, and understandable. For breakthrough fighter of the year, Eric's pick was Adrian Yanez. Oh, yeah, good call. Yeah, definitely a good call. For me, my pick didn't quite work out, although he still has potential. Demir Ismagulov, uh, you know, lo- recently losing to Armin Sarukian. No shame in that, but definitely a fight I thought he was going to win. And then John's pick for Breakthrough Fighter, he just mentioned Armin Sarukian, who had some, you know, some incredible competition uh, in 2023, of course, losing to Gamrot, but getting that win against Ismagulov uh, later in the year. We also had the next set of predictions, which were only for Eric. So only for oh. Eric over over so and we've got more coming up so so we'll get to those in a sec. The questions: Will Leon Edwards get a title shot in 2022? Eric said no. <laughs> so so that will Francis Ngannou resign with the UFC? Eric said yes. Oh that, no! That, that turned out to not happen. What's happening here? Will Nate Diaz fight outside the UFC? Eric said no. And that turns out to be true. I mean, he was a free agent, but the UFC dilly-dallied to get him his last fight. And then, of course, there's a non-compete component to it. So Nate Diaz has not fought anywhere outside the UFC. Will the UFC hold a fight night outside the Apex? Yes. In fact, they went right to it. They held uh, several fight nights outside of the Apex. And it seems like they're going to have... Fewer and fewer Apex events, although there is one coming up uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, Who will be the next notable MMA fighter to make a pro wrestling appearance? You said Chris Cyborg. That did not happen. That did did not happen. I think Daniel Cormier was the actual correct answer on that. because It may have been. Yeah, I don't know how... uh... I don't remember the timing of the AEW uh, Andre Arlovsky... Appearance like that was could that have been the year before. Yeah, I think that was twenty twenty one because we talked know. about because we had talked about that because we talked about Paige Van Zant on the show at that time. So, who will be the next notable MMA fighter to box? The answer, your answer, was Rampage Jackson. Now he was. There was rumors. Oh, that's, that he, that's a really depressing answer. <laughs> there was rumors that he was going to take on Shannon Briggs, so it wasn't the worst answer in the world. But ultimately. It was Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall. Who saw that one coming? And then just brief, will they fight in 2022? Fedor Emelianenko, you said yes, he did not. Nick Diaz, you said no, he did not. Floyd Mayweather, you said no. He had three exhibition matches, if you count those. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it to him. You said John Jones would fight. He did not. 
You said Habib Nurmagomedov would not fight. He did not. GSP. You said he would not fight. He did not. No, he did not. <laughs> Zabit Magomed Sharipov. You said he would fight. And That's he an insane prediction by me. That was an insane thing of me to say. Oscar De La Hoya. You said that he would fight, and he did not. Henry Cejudo. Ooh. You said he would fight, and he oh, did not. So close, so close. And lastly, Dan Hardy. You said he would not fight, and to everyone's surprise, he did not make a return to boxing and or MMA. Okay. So, with wow. the review out of the way, okay. it's time to go for our 2023 predictions. Okay. So, Aaron, yeah. who do you feel will be the 2023 fighter of the year? Uh, you know, I, I see where I went wrong last year uh, per, uh, trying to go with someone in such an unpredictable division. I, I've learned from my mistakes, and this year I'm going to pick Cyril Gaon to be the 2023 <laughs> Fighter of the Year. I predict he beats John Jones. I predict he beats Stipe Miocic and maybe defends one more time at the end of the year. I, I like it. Doubling down. Doubling down on... Hey, I thought uh, he beat Francis Ngannou last year, so hey, I'm I'm still all in on the Gaon train. Uh, okay. I mean, fair, fair, fair pick. My pick. So I, I now granted, I have to admit, I'm kind of cheating. I kind of cheated because I changed it based on yesterday's fights. Oh, you picked Glover Teixeira. <laughs> Shogun Hua, actually. Oh, uh, no. Wow. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to go with Jamal Hill. He just got hit the title. I think he's going to fight two more times this year, and I'm going to predict that he will win both of those fights, and he will end 2023 with three wins, and he will still be the light heavyweight champion at the end of the year. So my prediction for the 2023 fighter of the year will be Jamal Hill. Uh, very good choice. John Pollock? John Pollock, Jack in my 2022 styles. I'm picking Islam Makachev as the fighter of the year. Great pick. I, I mean, I I could totally see him going undefeated. I just wonder how many fights he's going to get in. You know, if he gets in three fights, then definitely. But much like last year, he only got two fights in. So, uh, but from a skill point standpoint, from a skill standpoint, rather, excellent pick, I think. All right. Next, Eric. Who do you feel will be the breakthrough fighter of the year in 2023? Well, you could make the case that he broke through this year. I am going to say he's going to break through even further next year. And Jailton Almeida is my pick as the breakthrough fighter of 2023. I imagine he climbs from his current status as of the timing of this podcast of an unranked fighter to a top five fighter in whatever division he chooses to compete at by the end of the year. Yes, he's looked amazing, as we saw last night. So uh, I think that's an excellent pick. I'm going to go with Jalen Turner. Oh, I feel like he's an absolutely huge lightweight. He's had some losses, but as of recently, he's looked absolutely amazing. Uh, his last victory over Brad Riddell was an incredibly impressive performance. And I think by the end of the year, he's going to be 
the number one contender for that oh, lightweight wow. lightweight title. I I mean it's a extremely tough division. Uh you know, you know, there's there's so many incredible fighters, but I, I think he's going to rise the ranks and have that like be right there. He'll definitely be in the title conversation uh at the end of the year. So that's my pick, Jalen Turner. Perhaps uh maybe a more risky pick than uh, I made last year, which was definitely Islam a risky Makhachevi. one this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John Pollock for his breakthrough fighter of the year. He actually went with two. Well, there was an honorable mention. Ilya Topuria. Ilya Topuria. Of course, Ilya Topuria making all sorts of waves towards the end of the year with uh, dominant performance over, um, oh my gosh, I already forgot a camo shorts. Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, making news for just uh, another another person to happily call out Patty Piblet. But John Pollock also giving an honorable mention to Anatoly Malikin. Anatoly Malikin. Do you know Anatoly Malikin? Uh, name's not ringing a bell right now. He's in 1FC. That's probably why. I mean, how much 1FC are you watching, Aaron? I had no idea that John Pollock kept up with 1FC. This is this is a John, relevation, really. Like, John Pollock is... is, is, is yeah, John Pollock... Well, John Pollock... There's there's a reason why he's our supreme over, overlord. <laughs> he oversees no, yeah, all. No days off, man. Look, and yeah. Keeping up with one. My God. Keep, he's keeping up with Ryzen. Uh, he probably knows what's going on with the uh, forthcoming WFL. Do you remember the WFL? The announced... No. The WFL, the announced that they were going to have a oh. league format. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's supposed to launch in 2023. Well, I, mean, yeah. where, where, I mean, it's any moment now. Any I moment don't know now. if that's happening, man. I don't know if that's <laughs> happening. Okay. I, well, I will say for one, uh, one FC, for anyone who doesn't keep up with one, it is a ton of fun to watch. Like if you just, if you're a casual fight fan and you, you don't know too much about any fighters or uh, promotions, I don't think you'll have more fun watching any promotion than one. It's, it's really entertaining stuff. And, uh, one FC is also going to make their American debut from Denver, Colorado on Friday, May 5th, as uh, we see Demetrius Johnson take on Adriano Marias for the third time. So that should be interesting, you know. Now we're now we're talking about four major promotions uh in America, right? If we count 1FC with PFL Bellator and of course the UFC. So that battle for number 2 spot, I guess is is going to heat up throughout the year. Um all right, one last prediction category, not so much a prediction category, but more of like a wish. So, what is the fight that you want to see the most in 2023? Um, you know what? I'm going to go with a fight that's already been announced. I am really interested to see John Jones versus Cyril Gunn. I think that is a really uh, interesting fight uh, stylistically. There are a lot of questions regarding John Jones, and I think that will be um uh, that's the fight I'm l- looking most forward to. So, uh, that's my wish. Let it happen. Let John Jones not do something horrible or get busted for steroids or whatever John Jones is typical of doing, and and let this go uh, with without any horrible occurrences. 
Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I mean, on top of just being, you know, a uh, high quality competition. Yeah, we just haven't seen John's uh, in so long. This being his first fight at heavyweight, there's a lot of intrigue around those aspects of it. Uh, myself, I had, I had, a, I had a few picks here. I had three. So, so bear with me. Bear with me. Some might happen. One probably won't. So first, I picked Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk. Just let's let's unify those heavyweight titles in boxing. That seems like a reasonable fight that they could make, although boxing's crazy and, uh, you know, so many things just don't happen. Uh, speaking of not happening, Devin Haney versus Javonta Davis. I, I would absolutely love to see that fight, but because of uh, promotional beefs, it just seems like that's not going to happen. Javonta is on Davis. Uh, uh, Javante Davis is on Showtime, rather, and Devin Haney is on ESPN, I believe, and it just doesn't seem like the two can see eye to eye on that. But uh, for MMA, I do have an MMA pick here for the fight I want to see the most. And I don't think it'll happen because it will bury a contender. Any idea? Uh, you don't I don't know. I have no idea what direction you're going in right now. I want to see Aaron Blanchfield versus Casey O'Neill. Oh, yeah, that'd be... I Both mean, of, yeah, yeah. I, I think Casey O'Neill might be injured. So uh, she recently did an interview on the uh, Ariel Helwani show, and she seems to be fully recovered and back to okay, training. Okay. So I think that there is a time for her to, uh, you know, opportunity for her to, to make a big impact in 2023 and get... Uh, a title shot. Same thing with Aaron Blanchfield. I mean, it seems a bit rushed, but Blanchfield's performances have been incredible, and yeah. we know that the division is thin. And so, I think the only real reason why you wouldn't have them fight each other is just to have more contenders potentially. But right now, those are the two biggest prospects in the division, and uh, I'd really like to see them go at it. That's a really good fight. Yeah, good call. Uh, John. John Pollock. John Pollock's pick for the fights he wants to see the most are Max Holloway versus Michael Chandler at 155 pounds. Oh, oh wow, that is a really good pick. Uh, two completely different styles, but both very entertaining. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I I, I could see it happening totally as well. He had another an alternate there. And this one has strong potential for happening. Usman Nurmagomedov versus AJ McKee in the Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix final. Yeah, we might very well actually see that one by the end of that tournament. Although there's also a chance that that tournament simply never ends. So, I mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or ends in 2027. <laughs> the way the Bellator uh, book site. Okay. All right. So now it's time for some Eric Marcotte predictions. These ones are exclusively for you, all right? Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll audit them next year, just like the ones we did earlier. Okay, here we go. 100% this year. Will the UFC return to Canada in 2023? No. No? Okay. Okay, wow. Wow. Yeah, I know, big prediction. Will Jake Paul fight in MMA in 2023? Yes. Okay, you think it's going to happen. Of course, Jake Paul signing a deal with PFL to appear on PFL pay-per-view. Um, I, I think he's definitely legit committed to it, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back till 2024. But 
Good on you for uh, for committing to that. Okay. Will Jake Paul lose a fight in 2023, boxing or MMA? Um, I think the PFL will be very carefully selecting his opponents, so I'm going to say no. He goes undefeated this year. Okay. Jake Paul undefeated in 2023. You heard it here first from Eric Marcotte. Well, I think we already got your answer for this. But uh, might as well, uh, you know, confirm it. Who will be the UFC heavyweight champion at the end of 2023? Cyril Gunn. Cyril Gunn. Will Valentina Shevchenko fight Amanda Nunez in 2023? No. 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 Who will be the male bantamweight champion? At the end of 2023. Oh, man. Oh, fuck. That is a good question. Um, shit. Uh, uh, okay. You know what? Um, well, let's go out on Let's take a risk here. Let's take a risk. Make things interesting. Say, no. <laughs> Marlon Vera is your champion. Whoa, at the end of the year. that I, that is a risky yeah, one. We're I going out there. I mean, uh, yeah, wow. That I, I definitely would have picked that one. So, so good on you for the risky pick. Okay. How many pay per view events will PFL hold in 2023? Oh man, I feel like I, I want to say zero, but I, it might be end up, end up being like three or something. This company's out of their mind. It must all be a money laundering scheme. That's the only thing that makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll say they do one. One. Okay. Yeah. One. I think that's a good number. Will Nate Diaz box in 2023? Uh, no, I, I predict we hear very little from Nate Diaz this year. Wow. Nothing from Nate Diaz. Amazing. Okay. Will Francis Ngannou's next fight be MMA or boxing? Boxing. I don't think he has a lot of interest in MMA. Will Habib Nurmagomedov return to coaching in 2023? Um, um, I predict we will see him in somebody's corner throughout the year. So that's a yes. I think that's yeah. a yes. Will Power Slap make it through all eight episodes of its current run, <laughs> or will it get canceled before that? Uh, it will make it through all eight episodes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Last question before okay. we get into, will these people fight? Who will be the next fighter to get 10 7 by Ariel Helwani? Uh, I'll, I'll just go with the safest bet imaginable and say Jake Shields. <laughs> Jake Shields. Okay. Jake Shields. Very good. Very good. All right. Okay. So now, last bit. Simple question. Will the following fighters fight in 2023? Could be boxing or MMA, right? Okay. Or, or or slap fighting, I suppose. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> George St. Pierre. No. Nick Diaz. Mm-hmm. No. No. 
Zabit Magomed Sharapov. No, <laughs> no, I can't believe I made that prediction last year. I, was I don't know if you heard the rumors, but it, there, there are rumors circulating that he is planning a return. It won't happen. Frankie Edgar. Oh, um, I'm going to say Frankie takes the year off, but we haven't heard the last from him. Okay. Gregor Gillespie. Yes. Gregor Gillespie, somebody that we have not heard of in probably as long as Zabit Magomed Sharapov. It's been a long time, but I predict we'll see Gregor this year. Dylan Danis. (laughs) No. No. Connor McGregor. Yes. Paige Van Zant. No, no. Okay, and the last one. Think hard. Okay. Think hardy. Dan Hardy. No, no, he didn't. Dan Hardy will not fight in 2023, but three <laughs> fights will be announced. <laughs> all right. Well, you heard it all here from the ultimate post-wrestling MMA prognosticator, Eric Marcotte. Marcotte. I, I called you Marcotte. Can you believe uh, it? Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, a throwback. <laughs> yes. Uh Yes, so that was a lot of fun. That wraps up the awards. That wraps up the show. I mean, we hit two hours, Eric. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, I think going into this one, we knew this was going to be a very long show, and uh, it lived up to those expectations. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. I enjoyed every second of it. I enjoyed uh, being back for you, for the people in the chat, of course. Shout out to everybody in Discord who voted on the MMA Awards. And to everybody who listened to the show throughout the year, 2022, and of course, uh, today's show. Uh, the next time that the UFC returns will be on February 4th from the UFC Apex. The canceled Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak fight has been rescheduled with a 1 a.m. start time, curiously enough. I guess they're really targeting some late night West Coast viewers, uh, Really afraid to go head-to-head with Bellator, who returns to CBS that night as well. So, a very unusual start time for that one. And then the next time that John Pollock and Eric Marcotte will be here to review a UFC event will be UFC 284, Alex Volkanovsky versus Islam Makachev. An incredible fight, champion versus champion. That's February 12th. Live from the RAC Arena in Perth, Australia. What's your thoughts on that card, Eric? Honestly, I think the card looks pretty bad, but the top two fights are very good. You have uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, the pound-for-pound top fighter in the world right now, uh, moving up to fight Islam Makachev, who's looked just unstoppable since his last loss. Uh, Islam's naturally favored going into this one, but Volkanovski's a hard guy to count out. So I think uh, it's a really exciting matchup. And then we have Josh Emmett versus Yair Rodriguez for the interim featherweight title. Um, an interim title, is, is that completely necessary when the champion is fighting on the same card? I do not know, but uh, that should be a fun fight. Yeah, definitely. Very, very, uh, very exciting fight. Uh Yair's, you know, always in thrilling fights and has continued to get better. And Josh Emmett has looked really great as of late as well. You know, he's sort of one of those guys, sort of similar to 
Bilal Muhammad uh, in that regard, that he was sort of somebody you could never really could picture breaking through into the top of the division. But as of late, he has definitely established himself as somebody who is right up there. Although I don't know if anybody is at that caliber of the current champ, Volkanovski. No, I, I'd agree. It's going to take a lot to unseat Volkanovski at featherweight, and perhaps uh, perhaps what will in- unseat Volkanovski at featherweight would be him permanently moving to lightweight. So uh, maybe Emmett and yeah, R- Rodriguez can cross their fingers for that result. Yeah. And so once again, that comes up on February 12th. Well, that's the day of the event. You'll probably be going live the following day. Any final things you want to say to the post-universe, Mr. Eric? Um, you know what? I, I will first off say to you, uh, thank you, Phil, for stepping in here and running the show uh, with the predictions as well as the card. I have had a lot of technical issues uh, here while I've also been extremely tired. So I have I've done my best to push forward with a smile on my face, but it was made all the easier because of your work today. So oh, thank, thank you, you. Oh, thank you. Well, you handled it smoothly. I honestly I didn't notice any technical issues minus that, minus that one glitch. So, uh, uh, yeah, you handled it like a pro, Eric. Yeah. Next time and, we uh, next time we uh, see you, are you gonna have a full beard? Oh, uh, how how long do we have? It's only like three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll have a full beard by then. That's okay. I can do that. Okay. Yeah, because we can barely recognize you. The people were very confused. Uh, now, listen, guys. There was a, there was a shaving accident, and sometimes when that happens, you just need to get rid of the whole thing. But you know, thankfully, it grows back very quickly for me. I'll have a, a nice uh, full beard at least by the next time I'm I'm on camera. And I'm sorry for everyone I disappointed uh, watching the video version to see my clean-shaven face. I, I know the post community deserves better than that, and I'll, I'll do better to improve myself. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I love the commitment to uh, self-improvement. All right. So with that said, if you want any more exciting, incredible MMA or pro wrestling content, you can visit us in the Discord, participate in Fight Nights voting, postwrestling.com slash Discord. If you want amazing incredible exclusive content go to postwrestlingcafe.com and remember please hit that like button hit that subscribe button and post wrestling will see you soon bye everybody Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.